I'm going to say good morning to you. It's hard to believe that we are, I think, Fritz, tell me if I'm right. Is this week seven? Yeah. In our um, battle with COVID and, and kind of our quarantine time. And um, I thought I'd start off with something funny to begin with. So um, somebody sent me a couple of just fun things, and uh, I got two that I'm going to read today. Um, so this is this is one that I relate to more and more as I as I get older. It says, "You drop something, and when you're young, you simply reach down and pick it up. When you're old and you drop something, you stare at it for a bit, and you contemplate whether you actually need it anymore." <laughs> Isn't that true? Well, yeah, I don't need that. Bye. Uh, here's another really just fun one for the week. How do you know if you're old? Okay, there, so there's all different kinds of signs. Here's one of them. One way to find out if you're old is you fall down in front of a lot of people. If they laugh, you're still young. If they panic and start running to you, you're old. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think I'd be in that second category. You know, this, uh, this week's been an interesting week um, from a couple of perspectives. We're, we're kind of seeing what I call um, uh, COVID frustration set in. And uh, that's true around our country. Uh, some of the images that we've been watching on television have changed from uh, pictures in hospitals and pictures of people that, you know, are fighting this, this battle for their life to now we've got fights going on in the streets and people holding up signs and basically saying, we're done. We're done with this COVID thing. It's time to go back. And uh, people want some degree of normalcy. It's true here as well. Uh, Grand Island, of course, as you know, is, is still uh, in the throes of um, quote-unquote flattening out this COVID curve. Uh, last night, we got to see some of our, our own members here uh, who are in the medical profession on television, really encouraging us uh, to hang on just a little bit longer uh, because we're starting to see here in Grand Island that curve plateauing. It's plateauing, which is really good news for us. Uh, we have been a hot spot nationally, and uh, you think about this, when does Grand Island make the news? <laughs> well, we made it, you know, because we had, have had some of the highest incidence per capita of COVID in the nation. So that flattening out is going on. And this past week, um, I got to, to help pull together a group of pastors around our city. And we've been talking about what's the responsible right thing for us to do as churches uh, given that uh, our country is beginning to, op to open up houses of worship. And we, we all kind of said, yeah, that's, we want to come back. Uh, and yeah, we want to do it in a way that's going to make sure we're practicing the right protocols and keeping people as safe as we can possibly keep folks. So we all kind of targeted, we're looking at um, that first Sunday in June as our kind of our, our soft reopen date. Uh, obviously, we won't reopen everything. We're not going to have Sunday school and all of that, but we, we will have uh, worship. And so we're beginning that process of putting in place everything 
that's needed to, to, to get that done. And we're going to be ready. Uh, and I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to this month. May is, a, is going to be a great month. We're, we're going to be in this book that we're in, the book of Romans this morning, uh, in our message series uh, that we've entitled Beyond Cliché. And uh, so I think over the next few weeks, we're going to try to dig into some, some tough scriptures. Today, we've got a great scripture, and I think it picks up with this word tension. Um, as much as, you know, just watching TV, as much as you see tension and you see these folks, you know, standing on a, uh, in front of their, <clears throat> their state's capital and their signs are, you can't, you can't keep us down, right? As much as there's tension in our, our states today, what I want you to picture is the tension that's going on in the room, so to speak, where Paul is addressing the church. There's been a few times in my life, honest, honestly, not many, where I've, I've had to have meetings with, with, a, with a church during a time where there's, there's a real tension in the room. Maybe not everybody agrees with each other. Maybe not everybody is on the same page with each other. Uh, maybe there's some, some, some animosity, actually, in the room. And I want you to feel that a little bit. Um, because Paul is speaking into the church, and, and there's a time for tension. Uh, tension isn't bad. There's a time when you, you have to say, unless we do something that causes change, um, the church is just going to go on being what it is. And, and when, when the church is not being what God called it to be, tension is appropriate. And that, that's what Paul has created here. How has he done it? Well, we've seen it over the last couple of weeks. He brought in what I call the double-barreled shotgun. And barrel number one, kaboom. I'm going to prove to you, church, that what I'm saying about Jesus and what I'm saying about Gentiles and the mission of the church, the mission to go out and take the gospel to all people, it didn't come from me. Boom, it came from who? David. And he quotes David and uh, takes the Psalms and leads you through them and causes you to have to say, you know what? You have some ground to stay on. You've got a good argument here that David very clearly points to the fact that God called Israel as his church not to be exclusive, not to hide from culture, but to go out into it and to change it with the gospel. And that means bringing the gospel to people who are not like us, Israel, right? Second barrel, boom. If David wasn't enough for you, how about this one? Abraham. So no one who, who is of Jewish origin can say, well, what did Abraham know? <laughs> I mean, he's the father of the church, right? And so um, this gets their attention. And, and what Paul has done, he's put into this room, this tension. He's saying we have to, we, we cannot simply kind of pull away from culture and, and believe, hey, this is, you know what, God's called us as the, the Jewish church to be his called out, uh, blessed people. No, he's called us to go be leaven in the world, uh, taking this gospel out, reaching out to Gentiles. And so in a very dramatic way, what Paul has done is he's demonstrated on the basis of the Old Testament, that all along God has said, you know what, Abraham, how did he become 
my, my own through faith, through a faith that I worked in him. And as a result of my working that faith in him, we call him the father of many nations. And so Abraham himself, if he were standing here and alive today, would say, church, go out and bring my gospel to the nations. So um, you end chapter four with what I call one of the most beautiful single verses of the Bible when it comes to taking the whole of scripture and putting it into one single verse. Uh, I'll, I'll read this for you again. Verse 24, chapter 4 says, <clears throat> It, namely faith, will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Notice how that ends, those two components. Who was delivered for our trespasses, Sin had to be paid for. Trespasses have to be covered. And so why did Jesus come? To do that. To be the sacrifice for us. And then raised up, raised up for our justification. The, the resurrection really puts an explanation point on our rightness with God. How do I have rightness? Through Him. How will I have a relationship that goes on forever? Through Jesus Christ. And so he's really in a succinct way pointed to Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of the promises made <clears throat> back to Adam and Eve and then to Abraham and through, through the church to the world. <clears throat> so as we enter into chapter 5 then, the focus becomes uh, Jesus Christ and what it means to bear him to the world. Um, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore... Whenever you see the word, therefore, what's it, what's it, therefore, it's attaching back to what we just read. We're going to talk about Jesus. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This struck me this week um, in, in kind of a, in an interesting way. We're in Rome, right? Romans, we're writing to the church in Rome. And this word peace is kind of interesting because it, it has a counterpart in, in the Latin language. Here we're, we're listening to Paul speak in, in the Greek language. And the two words that I think juxtapose for the word peace are the words pax and eirene. And I want you to notice the difference between the two of them. Pax is a law word. It's a law word. And so it, when you go back and you study history, uh, one of the questions you're going to get on the test when you're, when you're studying Rome is the question, what is the Pax Romana? What is the Pax Romana? And the Pax Romana refers basically to a political concept that was in place at the time that Rome ruled the world. And Rome claimed that the world could have peace, pox, through adherence to its political policies. How will we get peace in the world? Well, you become part of Rome. And Rome will protect you. And Rome will sustain you. And Rome will provide for you. Rome, Rome's way of life is the right way of life. So the Pax Romana refers to kind of this, this overarching worldview that says human beings can achieve peace through policy.
Sound familiar? Interesting to me that we're living in a time right now when people are asking the question, how are we going to fix all these problems? And I turn on my television and the first ad that comes up says, I'll tell you where we've always turned to when we have problems, science. Oh, science is going to fix these problems. Absolutely. Because we're going to come up with this formula. We're going to fix this virus's wagon. We're going to kick its butt. That's what we're going to do. We'll give you a shot and you're done. Maybe. Till the next virus comes. You know what? You cannot have peace through science. It's temporary. It's temporal. Here, gone. Somebody else says, well, how are we going to get peace? Well, we need money because we lost our jobs. It's just start giving us lots of money and now we're going to have peace. Really? Um, I don't know that you can print enough money to cover the, the mess that's going on in our world today. But if you could, if somebody just said, hey, just start printing. Print as much as you can, as fast as you can, and just start shipping it out to people. Would you have peace? Maybe. Temporarily. So you got onto Amazon and blew through it all, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, we need more. You're not going to have peace through policy. Somebody says, well, I'll tell you how we have peace. We'll have peace. We need to elect a new president. That's what we need to do. Get this new guy in. He'll bring us peace. Now, I want you to notice how different peace is when you look at it through the perspective that Paul is giving us. It's a different word. The word is erene. And in the Greek concept of peace, in juxtaposition to this idea that peace can be had through policy, is peace comes through a person, not a policy, but a person, namely the person of Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, if I'm not at peace with God, who I was created to be at peace with, if I'm not at peace with God, I will always, always be at war within. There will always be inside of me this sense that I'm not who I'm supposed to be, that I'm not where I'm supposed to be, that I'm not being what I'm supposed to be. There will always be that, that sense of I, I'm not what I'm supposed to be. How do I find peace? And what Paul is saying is, here's how you find peace. We find our peace through Jesus Christ. Now, how has he given us peace? Let's go to verse 2. This is interesting. It says, through him, through Jesus Christ, we've obtained something. What have we obtained? Through him we've obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And by the way, I love this, I love this word, uh, access. Through him we have obtained access. The Greek word there is proagonog, and it means the right to entry. Through him I have peace. Why? Because I have the right by faith to enter into grace, this, this sense of well-being, this, this sense of I know who I am because I know whose I am. I have peace through a person. And because of that, I'm able to do what? In which we stand. I'm, I'm able to stand firm upon uh, a promise that will endure whatever comes my way. Whatever happens. Uh, whether it's, it's destitution, it's, uh, I mean, go through history. War, uh, droughts, famines, diseases, all of it. How do I, I'm going to stand on a promise. And the promise is this. I have a God who made me. I'm at peace with him. He loves me. 
uh, he has overcome my greatest enemies, and I know no matter what, even if I die, I have peace. I'm at peace with that. Do you know why? Because I know him, and I know his story. And his story is not about something just simple and temporal. It's about eternity with him. And so I am going to stand upon that. And I am going to look at this next word, actually rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And um, again, I always come back to that. That sense of the glory of God means I'm rejoicing that he's present. How are you getting through all this stuff? Well, I've thought about this a lot. Um, we, we tend to use these, these phrases, right? And so of recent, the phrase is, we're going to get through this together. Like it's, you, we're going to hook arms together, which you can't do. <laughs> and we're going to go get through this thing together. Well, no. First of all, I don't think we should just get through this. I think we should go through this. I think there's a difference. Get is passive. I'm the victim. I sit back here and I'm like, I can't believe these Chinese. Do you see what Chinese did? They're the blame. They got this virus and they're going to be, and I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm all caught up in the temporal world. How is that going to help you? Honestly, how will that help you? I don't think it will. That's getting through it. I'm a passive victim. I'm going to just kind of hang on here. Maybe the government will send me more checks and I'm going to be good to go. No, I think God wants us to go through it. Go is not passive. It's active. And so to go through it means I'm going to look for what God is trying to do here. Maybe God's speaking to me, personally to me. And what is he saying to me in all of this? Luke, what have you been hanging on to? What have you been holding on to? What have you been putting your trust on? Have you been standing on my promises? Real honestly, it's very, very easy to, to say it, I'm standing on the promise of God. It is. Do you know what? Hard stuff comes along and I'll say, whoa, wait a minute. Shook. Tension in the room. And it asks you the question, it begs the question, what are you standing upon? When you're standing on the promise of God, here's what you're able to say. God's with me in this. And so no matter what's going on, I am able to rejoice in the hope that I'm going to spend eternity in his presence. And it's why, I'm telling you, it's why St. Paul became this unstoppable force in the New Testament world. The Romans tried to kill him. The Jews tried to kill him. They stuck him in prison. They did, all, they, they did it, everything you can do to a human being, beat him to the point of death. And he got up and they said, how are you feeling today? And he says, I'm going to rejoice. Well, how in the world can you say you're going to rejoice? They just beat your body to a pulp. I'll tell you how. Because I'm standing on a promise. It's the promise that God is with me in this. And and more than that, will be with me into eternity. Now, I'm just going to wind you up here. Verse 3. There are verses in the Bible that have some that just, you, you need them in you. You just need to get them in you because they're that critical. They're that important. I mean, most of us, when I say John 3.16, boom, you've got it in you, right? God's the love of the world. We, we've, we've got that one. Um, I think most of us could probably do the Great Commission. You know, go you therefore and make. What about this one? 
If you don't have this verse in you, I want you to get it in you because it is so deep in the riches of what it means to be able to stand on this promise of God. This is what God wants us to take out into the world. Look at verse 3. It says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Interesting. Here's the word. We rejoice in our sufferings. Here's the word. Philipsison. 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 What's that? Literal translation here would be a little bit different than what we have in our, our English Bible. Sufferings isn't wrong, but here's the literal translation. We rejoice in our tribulations. Philipsison. Our tribulations. Here's why I want to stop on that word for just a minute. Most of us are familiar with the idea that comes out of, of, of many churches today <clears throat> that there's going to be a time of tribulation in our world. Uh, back when I was in high school, um, there was a book that came out that really kind of trumpeted this idea that this, this day of tribulation is going, is going to come. The, the title of the book was The Late Great Planet Earth. <clears throat> the late great planet Earth. I remember reading that book. I'm like, oh my goodness, tribulation is going to come. Now here, here's the scenario that uh, that book and others like it have given. The idea is, according to many churches, that before this time of tribulation comes, Christians, people who believe in God, are going to be sucked up off of the earth. We're, we're going to be raised up into the air with, with Jesus Christ. Uh, it's called the rapture. And we're going to be now sitting up like we're in a giant football stadium in our, our seat. I want the box seat uh, with, the, with the popcorn. And we're going to be looking down on earth, watching these poor suckers who didn't believe in Jesus get what's coming to them. Tribulation. And the tribulation, the, the idea of the tribulation is these poor suckers that are left on earth that didn't get sucked up off of the earth, they, they're going to have a second chance. But this second chance is going to come at a high price because the tribulation, the shaking that's going to go on uh, down here on earth during this, this period of time is going to be such that no one can, can really withstand it. It's going to cause you to do something. You're either going to fight against God or you're going to become part of what he's doing. That's the idea of Philipsis. Here's the, here's the difficulty with that. St. Paul is not speaking in future terms. He's speaking in present terms. He is saying we rejoice in our Philipsin. We're in it. When somebody says to me, Huh, Pastor Luke, man, it seems like we're in the in time of tribulation. Absolutely we are. Because God uses it. Look at history. Over and over and over and over again, he uses it to do what? To shake us free from our bondage to the things of this world, the things that we want to hold on to. And so what Paul says is when, when sufferings come, when tribulation comes, what do I do? <gasps> what are we going to do? God, take it away. No, actually, I'm like, whoa, I am rejoicing now. <laughs> what? That's right. I'm rejoicing <clears throat> because every single time God does this, guess what happens? I grow. 
Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and then we're going to dive into these words because they are so beautiful. And it's a serious question. Um, seven weeks. Are you growing? And I, I mean, I'm going to, I'm asking myself that. Am I growing? It's really easy, guys, to just kind of get into this malaise. I'm, I'm kind of just going through motions. We don't grow. Don't waste a good tribulation. God is saying to, to me and to you, well, what have the rhythm, spiritual rhythms been in your life? How about in your marriage? How, how has it been with your kids? And he's giving us such a great opportunity to grow. And that's the purpose of, of tribulation is it causes growth. Okay, let's, let's kind of walk these words. He says, we're rejoicing in this tribulation knowing that tribulation produces endurance. Okay, so the first thing that he says is this tribulation produces, the term here is kat ergesetai, and it has the, the idea of something being worked out within me. So tribulations work out within me. Uh, the best picture that I give, or the word I like to use is, it births out of me. Births within and then out of me. God is doing something. When, when, you, when you watch birth taking place, is it easy? Like, there's, like the lady is sitting on the bed going, oh. It's, this is beautiful time. I'm going to have a little bit. No, she's sitting on the bed and she's grabbing hold of the rails of that bed. And she's going, ah! right? That's true. Paul is not saying tribulation is easy. When he says we rejoice in our tribulations, he's not saying, oh, it's easy. No sweat. He's like, no, 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 no. We human beings are like, ah! but there's something happening. There's something's being burnt out of us. What is it? It's called endurance. Here's the word, hupomone, one of the most important words in the Bible. Hupomone, hupo, underneath, just listen to the term mone. I always say it this way, underneath the moaning. Endurance is the ability to stand on those promises of God while I'm under the moaning of this world, the brokenness of this world, the emptiness of this world, the desolation of this world. Even what's inside of me. When I look at me, and I look, at there, look, there's emptiness inside of me. There's brokenness inside of me. How do you hold up underneath that? Well, guess what? Tribulation is strengthening you to be able to stand upon that promise of God and actually be able to say, I'm going to rejoice in this because I'm standing where God wants me to. When Jesus Christ came into this world, he came into this broken world, and everywhere he went, he saw it. Every person he looked at, there's one that I made. And they're not mine. They're not with me. I made them for me. Brokenness. There's one. They're suffering from part of the brokenness of being in this world. I don't, I don't like that. I, I didn't make the world for this. Under the moan puts us on the path that Jesus is walking down and allows us, allows us to become strengthened. I'm praying for that for you and for me in this time period that we don't waste this tribulation, but that we're being strengthened by God. I'm not saying it's easy. <clears throat> it's hard. I'm saying let it birth out of you this sense of no, no, no. We're going to stand firm because we are being held on to by a God of promise. 
Then he goes on, he says, now, it doesn't just stop there. In fact, uh, endurance itself gives birth to something. What does it give birth to? Character. Character. Hmm. Character, uh, I always, I've always liked this. Uh, Bill Hybels one time said, character is who you are when no one else is looking. Always like that. Um, you know, I think we, we all project a particular character when people are looking, right? And, and, and we've learned how to do that. We're, we're able to, to, to stand in front of people and project, well, I'm a, I'm a kind person. I'm a, I'm a loving person. I'm a giving person. I'm a <clears throat> and our world wants us to do that. But here's, here's the reality is our character is flawed to the core. And we discover that most of the time when we, when you dig into something, hey, look at this beautiful thing this person did. Then you kind of get underneath it all and you're like, wait a minute. I see why they did that. They did it for themselves. Our character is broken. And what, what Thalipsis does is it reveals that to us. It causes me to say, oh, in fact, look at this word here. Character is the term doki main. And it actually means the testing of value. So when I'm put under the moan, what's happening? I'm being put under a test that kind of reveals, hey, look, here's who you actually are. And when I start looking at who I actually am, I'm like, oh, man, that isn't good. That's not what I want to be. But I can't change it. Who changes it? You see, the one that's birthing, it isn't me. In other words, I'm not saying to you, hey, it's been seven weeks. You need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you need to make yourself better. No, what I'm saying is God's doing something in you. And part of what he's working on is who you are when no one else is looking. Your character. The very depth of who you are. And the reality is I need that. You need that. We need that. To come to God and say, am I really uh, who I project to be? No, quite often I'm a fraud. I want to project one way, but I'm not. And so, God, would you birth out of me something new? Don't waste a good tribulation because God works through it in such a beautiful, beautiful way. And then he says, now, guess what? It doesn't even end there. As, as, as character is made, out of that, there's another birthing that takes place. And that birthing is the birthing of Elpis, hope. Now I have hope. I have hope not in me, not in the world, not in the policies, not in other people. I have have hope in Jesus Christ. And now I'm able to go out and somebody says, hey, do you have rightness with God? I'm like, I do, but not because of anything I've done, but because of him and what he's doing inside of me. I have hope and character produces that hope. And then he goes on to say, and hope does not put us to shame. There's just beauty in that. We go out not in shame, but with boldness. I go out in the name of Jesus Christ, and uh, am I ashamed? Am I ashamed, honestly, of who who I am when I look at my core, of of what what I've done in my life? Yeah. Oh, boy. But I don't live in that shame. 
I live in what? Grace. And I stand underneath that grace. And I'm able to proclaim it's not about me. It's about who he is and who he's made me uh, to be. And that grace comes from a God of love. And that's how he closes out this verse. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Despite who I am, at my core, God says, Luke, I love you. I made you to be with me for eternity. And when I know that, when I know that, that thelipsis is not a matter of an angry God or a God, I'm going to punish you. It's not that. It's God to say, I love you. <clears throat> In fact, here's how much I love you. Thelipsis. I'm going to create some tribulation. I'm going to shake it all to its core. That's how much I love you. And the world scratches their head. I go, are you serious? That doesn't sound like love to me. Absolutely it is. You know what? Twist it around and turn it the opposite way. Think of a God who doesn't cause thelipsis. Who just lets us sit in our, our self-delusions. Who lets us sit in, in our sin. Who lets us sit in death. That's a God who doesn't love you. A God who loves you says, guess what? Guess what I'm going to do for you? I am going to. I'm going to gift you a mighty thalipsis, some real tribulation. We're like, oh, no, no, no. I don't need that gift right now. Why don't you send that gift somewhere else? Send it to China. They need it over there. Look at those people over there. God says, no, no, no. I'm going to put it in the whole world. And do we see God's hand at work? I do. And I see a God who loves us. And who is confirming that within us? We'll just look at how this verse ends. He's poured that love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What causes us to be able to stand on those promises again is not our own ability or strength, but rather this confirming work of a spirit that's within us, that's whispering to us, that's talking to us, that's bringing us back to this words, that's saying to us in those moments when we doubt and we want to give up and we want to quit and we want to say, God, take it all away. In those moments, the Holy Spirit is the one who is there saying, I got you. I'm going to hold on to you. God loves you. There will be a tomorrow and it's going to be with, with me. And that Holy Spirit is what? A person who lives within us and is very real. We're going to close there for the day. I hope that God is growing you in a mighty way during this period of time. I'm so looking forward to this month coming through it and then to that, that beginnings of return together. Um, I'm looking forward to all of it. God's blessings to you. Let's pray. Lord, as we close out this morning, um, no one likes the ellipsis. No, none of us do. We don't, we don't want it. And yet we want it desperately. Because you've used it again and again and again and again in history. And every single time we see your loving hand at work. You love us. You've called us to be your own. And Lord, what you're working out inside of us, what you're birthing inside of us is so beautiful. Lord, uh, you've called us your church. Uh, to bring this gospel to the world. And right now, our world needs it more than ever. And Lord, uh, to be that voice, this is, wait, stop, put your signs down, put all of your dependence upon policies and put it all down. 
pox is fake. Irene, peace is Jesus. Hold on to him. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great week.